0: Before we get into this message, we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about family. and We started a series called False Gods. And so talking about family in a series called False Gods is dangerous. It's it's difficult. It's hallowed ground. So let me pray for us. Father God, as we come before you tonight, as we... Open up your word as we think about what you have to tell us. Lord, I I pray that we would want to listen to you. That's a big first step. That we would want to hear what you have for us tonight. Lord, lead us and guide us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I wonder who here knows these words from the song I'm about to read to you, and you can say them with me if you know them real well, and let's see if you can guess who sung it. Who says you can't go home? There's only one place they call me from one of their own, just a hometown boy born on a rolling stone. Who says you can't go home? Who says you can't go back? I've been all around the world, and as a matter of fact, there's only one place I left left I want to go. Who was that? Bruce? Nope. Not Bob Dylan. Bon Jovi. <laughs> bon Jovi. Who says you can't go home? Family, home. You know, We were made for family. We were made, We have deep, deep feelings about home and what going back home looks for. We are hard, hardwired for community. And a lot of us have these kinds of feelings, right? These feelings of nostalgia, where we grew up, who our people are. But it's also possible to have feelings expressed in another one of our great songwriters of our time. Here's a song that I deeply related to growing up. I remember this guy taught me how to play it. I was living in this apartment complex, and uh, he had one of those, those conversion vans that had a mural on it. You know, one of those type of guys. And the, the, the mural on this van was a bunch of Confederate soldiers, and instead of faces, were skulls. It's so like skeleton soldiers just painted on the side of a van. I remember. Vividly, like it was yesterday, he'd knock on the window. He had his long hair, and I, I didn't understand how he got his hair to look like it did. And then I figured out he used the his grandma's uh, sewing scissors to thin up his hair so he'd look more metal, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> look more thin. And uh, he would kick, he'd kick uh, the window, I'd open it up, he'd come down, plug my fender into this little peavey ant, and he would teach me this song, which is called Dyer's Eve. Dear mother, dear father, what is this hell you've put me through? Believer, deceiver, day in, day out live my life through you, pushed onto me what's wrong or right, hidden from this thing they call life. The lead singer of Metallica, James Hetfield's parents were a part of a strict cult called Christian Science. And he had to grow up and watch his mother die of extre- an extremely treatable form of cancer because they wouldn't take her to the hospital. And he felt lost. He felt unheard. He felt trapped. He felt unloved. He felt like, I can't be who I even am because i got to fit into this This specific shape that my parents made for me. Listen, we talk about family. No other thing in your life is closer to making you who you are. There's no other thing in life that can help you keep your feet firmly planted and remind you of who you are when everything changes, right? And everything's falling apart. There's no other group of people that have more influence in your life. But at the same time, there's no other group of people who can wound you like family. You get your identity from family, but at the same time, there ain't no other group of people that can hurt you like family can hurt you. And we are in a series called false idols, false gods. What is it? What is a false god? What is an idol? It's anything. We were talking about this last week when we started. It's anything that if it were suddenly taken from you, it would just ruin your life. It's anything that you hang all of your hope for happiness, all of your hope for meaning and purpose in. We talked about how good God, good gifts, good gifts in life, become terrible gods. Good things from God become terrible gods when we bow down to them and we look to them to give us all of our happiness, to give us all of our purpose, to give us all of our meaning. And that's where most of us are. We stop searching for happiness and meaning. Most of us, we stop at family. This is where it is. And let's look at what Jesus has to say to his disciples who put family before him. In the ninth chapter of Luke, follow along with me. We're in verse 57. It should be on the screen. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a pretty big thing to say to Jesus. (laughs) It's a pretty big thing. Jesus told him, Foxes have holes, foxes have dens, and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So here we get to look at like classic Jesus. This is not like this is not like the fine print Jesus. This is not like, you know. The Jesus you've got to hang around for a really long time. And then there's like secret other books that we didn't show you. Like this is straight in Luke. It's in Mark. It's this, these themes are in all four gospel accounts. This is classic Jesus. And you know, when we hear these words, if we were trying to imagine them coming from somebody contemporary, it would be almost impossible to, right? If somebody were to say something like this, what do they sound like? They sound like Hitler, right? They do. Like, follow me. You know, you're going to see if, you're going to a funeral, forget that. Let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. It's a hard thing to say. And the one thing that we can't do, the one thing that we don't get to have as an option is to put Jesus sort of in the pantheon of all the good teachers, all the good religious teachers, because this falls right in line with who Jesus always was claiming who he was. One time he was standing at a festival, there was a huge crowd, and he said to the crowd, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now when he is saying that, The people understood exactly what he meant. Just a few weeks ago, we were in the book of Exodus. Who is revealed as the I am? Who is the one whose name is I am who I am? God reveals himself to Moses as I am. But even even beyond that, or a more simple level, he's saying, before Abraham, I existed. I'm not just some person. I'm not just some teacher. And so what we have to do is we have to put these words in the context. Jesus is not just a moral guide. He'd be an immoral guide if what he said about himself wasn't true. Just in this chapter alone, in Luke chapter nine that we read these past, this passage from, he recently fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. He, he, his close disciples went up on a mountain with him and he was transfigured which means they got a sneak peek, a little picture of Jesus in his glory and they saw some of the ancestors and basically heaven was touching earth on that mountain and the one that was the highlight of it all wasn't those great ancestors, it was Jesus. Then they saw, just before we read this passage, they saw Jesus cast a demon out of somebody, out of somebody's little boy, who would shake, fall to the ground, foam at the mouth, and had been struggling with this. And Jesus came and healed this boy. So when he goes around, and he says, follow me, This isn't like, hey, come hear Joe Marlin preach. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, come hear me preach, or, you know, go to your cousin's party who's going to college and will be gone, like, for years. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as, like, hey, come to church or go to a funeral to someone, like, your dad or someone really close to you that you love. It's not the same thing. This isn't church over family. This is not the message. Some people have heard church over family and and actually have been given that. (laughs) Like you, you be at church over anything else in your life. And we know that that goes against the grain of everything in us, right? There's something wrong with that, but this is different. This is like God, in the flesh. God is here. God himself is standing before you and he says, come follow me. And you don't get to have a but, an if, an and. When God himself is staring at you and saying, come follow me, hear him, touch him with your hands, learn from him. How long did they have with him? They didn't know. How long was this gonna last? Where everything that was sad, everything that was broken in the world, all these people who were sick, all these people who were hungry were being healed, how long did they have that gift? They didn't know. But it's here right now. You gotta follow Jesus. It ain't the same as, yo, you be at church, right? But this is the thing, even though Jesus had healed people, even though Jesus had fed people, even though Jesus had done these things, we still have reluctant followers, don't we? Yes. We still have people that are like, yeah, but i got some things to do. And that just does not make sense. That just does not make sense when God himself is there saying, follow me. And you see, you won't have a problem coming to church. I, I, I was talking in the, the beginning that we're a family. You know, a church like this, we are asking a lot, right? We're asking for everything. We're asking for you to come to serve, to give, to enter into lives that are like probably messier than your own life. And you don't even know these people that well yet. And it's like, come and be a part of this thing. Follow Jesus together. Why? Well, when you've met Jesus, you're not asking why. You're like, how can I serve him? When you've met Jesus, the one who heals, the one who made the world, the one that we read in in this text, you don't have a problem with like, hey, should I rearrange my life for him? Yes, of course. Family is is a struggle. It's a stumbling block for all of us um, following Jesus. When we, when we put our family above God, we're committing idolatry. We are. I didn't say when we you know put a particular meeting, church meeting or anything like that. I'm saying in general, when the track of our life, when all the details of our life, all the little decisions we make every day, every week, every month, When we put our family before God or anything before God, it's idolatry. And we just, we're in the series in Exodus, and you remember Moses coming down from the mountain. You remember them all hearing the terrible voice of God, and then you remember the first thing that he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The definition in the New Testament of idolatry from Paul is found in Romans 1.25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator. It's that last part. It's taking things that are created. Even people are created, right? It's, it's taking things, and we talked like last week about how we're all religious, and we might, maybe it's our beauty, our youth, our money, our culture, whatever it is. It's taking created things, good gifts, and making them into our gods, and they become terrible gods. <laughs> they don't, it doesn't work out for us. Idols aren't made up things, but they're outsized things. They are distorted things. They're... They're, they're good things that we, that we mess up. Let me give you a few examples just to drive this in. Think of a bottle of wine. <laughs> Some of you don't think of a bottle of wine. All right? <laughs> Some of you don't think of a bottle of wine. But, like, just for, like, this is just an illustration, okay? Like, a bottle of wine, right? It could be shared. Bottle of wine could be split, right? On. Um, you say say a, uh, you can imagine the family and they they've been going through they've been going through stuff and have had a lot of stuff going on with their kids and they get a chance to go they get a chance to go to like atlantic city for the night they grab a bottle of wine they split it they enjoy themselves they enjoy each other they make love like that god is all over that that's enjoying the good gifts of god but you could take that same exact bottle of wine And you got a dude spitting it all up in a gutter on King Street, right? And that is not enjoying the good gifts of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, think of our pets. Let's think of our pets. I know it's a ridiculous shifting gears. But, you know, pets can, they can give us something. They can help us, give us some purpose. We take care of them. And you know what's great about pets? They don't talk smack back to you like your kids, right? You know what I mean? Like, they don't. They don't talk smack, they, you know, you just, you're just loving on them and they come up and they're pretty low maintenance. And yet, even that, right, um, Americans spend $350 million, not on our pets, but buying Halloween costumes for our pets, all right, which is more money. Then all of us together in the world spend on sending people to share Jesus with people who've never even heard his name. Think of another, another holiday, for example, Christmas. It's an awesome time as well. We, we give our kids three gifts, and we joke sometimes with them. We're like, like you ain't better than Jesus. He only got three gifts. <laughs> But on a serious note, listen, on a serious note, you know, I want to teach them different things. Like, like a few nice gifts is better than a bunch of crap, right? Like, just filling your house up with junk. And another thing is, you don't need, like, like, you don't need, like, you need to look around and see that there are other people all around you who are getting zero gifts. Right, so when they like teach them, like don't just be selfish. Yeah. Like we're here to take care of other people. You, you know what? How much Americans spend? Seven hundred billion dollars a year on Christmas. Seven hundred billion. That is the same amount of money, roughly, that Christians all over the world, every country in the world spend on Christian causes. That's hospitals, that's churches, that's the uh, people that rescue people from slavery, from prostitution, that's all the recovery stuff that's faith-based. 700 billion, like worldwide spending. You can't tell me that like people don't just treat themselves first and then leave the scraps for everybody else, because that's the way the world works. Keep with me. I know I'm in profit mode, <laughs> like an Old Testament guy. Like, let me bring out my fur coat, <laughs> eat my locusts and honey, just shout at you. You're all bad. That's. <laughs> it's a little hot for that. <laughs> I know that uh, you know these are difficult things, but we do treat ourselves sometimes. It, it's our it's our nature. It's it's, it's how we're wired sometimes and you know let's talk about how we can idolize our family a bit you know we idolize our kids don't we can somebody get give me an amen amen I mean I do it you know what I mean we idolize our kids um we idolize sometimes there there are those who idolize not having kids (laughs) you know some people some people like you know wish they were married, and other people wish they weren't married who are married. (laughs) Right? Like, we all, even those who are not, don't have kids, not having kids can be the greatest disappointment in their life. Those who want to get married, sometimes not getting married, is the greatest disappointment of their lives. And so still, that trying to hang all of your hope, purpose, and meaning into family, it's, it's still a problem. It's the same problem. And then there's the other side of it. When you get what you want, right? Like say you've got a big last name, and, and I don't mean long in letters, I mean like everybody knows your family, and you know, you're well-connected, and it's like, that's just who I am. We do things a certain way, we have a certain legacy, this is our family and we're connected and we can do X, Y, Z. And then you can also idolize the fact that you're nobody and you're happy about that and you're like, we're a small, we're a small family, whatever, it doesn't matter. John Calvin talked about how the human heart is an idol factory. It is. We're just constantly producing things to not just be proud about, because being proud about stuff is all right. But we bow down to it and look to get all of our happiness from it, and when it fails us, we're wrecked, we're ruined. One symptom of family idolatry is, is what called, like psychologists call enmeshment. You ever hear of that word? Enmeshment. It's it's really closely related to like codependency, and. Uh, With families that have experienced substance abuse, physical abuse, or just a lot of trauma, a lot of stress, a lot of hard times, this is really common. What is enmeshment? It's like the way the word sounds. It's like you don't know emotionally where you start and the other person ends. You don't know where you end, where they start. Like you're just all entangled up. Um, Their success is your success. Their failure is your failure. You're just emotionally so connected to your family that it's it's like when they're ruined, you're ruined. You're lost in these relationships. You're lost in your son. You're lost in your daughter. You're lost in your wife. You're lost in your husband. I remember uh, a guy telling me, like when we first moved to Gloucester, there was a, there was a guy, a local guy, who was like, hey, listen, like, I was like, why are you getting all those book bags, like for your kids or whatever? He said, he said, my mom, she was, she was kind of awful, and uh, I uh, grew up dirt poor, and I want my kids, I want my kids to have everything. I don't want my kids to have what I had. Now, I could've talked to that guy and say, yeah, there's a good part of that, but like you're enmeshed, and you can also ruin your kid by getting them two brand new, brain name you know, book tags every year that they don't need, and then that causes a whole nother set of issues in their heart and their mind, how they relate to the other kids and all that stuff. But you know what would happen? It'd be the pushback, like, shut up. <laughs> I need to do this. I need to take care of these kids. Because it's not just a thing about being proud. It's not just a thing about loving and trying to take care. It's not just a thing about trying to do better for them. It's this deep enmeshment. And there's a a fine line between empathy and enmeshment. There's a fine line from empathy hurts when somebody else hurts. Like when your kids are doing bad, when your cousin's doing bad, when somebody you know lost somebody close to them, you hurt with them. But in meshment, you drowned as they're drowning. You, like, can't function anymore. You, you can't even help them. You can't even help them. Do you hear what I'm saying? They're hurting, and you can't help them because you're so lost in them because you have made their happiness, you have made them the place that you hang all of your hope for happiness, all of your hope for meaning and purpose. And we just were made to find our hope for happiness and meaning and purpose in God and not for created things. That's just how we were made. Between empathy and enmeshment are the lines of being between the love of God and the slavery of idolatry. And as I said before, you know, our hearts are human idol factory. We're always trying to make new idols. But the thing is, with family, it's different. Because not only do we define our family as God, but we also define God through our experience of how our family has been. Does that make sense? Not only do we like make our family God but also however we experience family, that's how we see God. It's, it's God defining and, and there's this, um, this quote from this movie called Fight Club and they're making soap and they use these chemicals. The main character has multiple personalities and he's got some chemicals on him, it's burning, and his, he's, he's, he's imagining this, sorry, like if you haven't, this is like 1999, so if you haven't seen the movie, that is the big reveal that he has, he's mentally ill and this isn't, the, other, the guy ain't real, but <laughs> you should have saw the movie by now. <laughs> so, so his hand is just burning, right, with, with the chemicals, and in his mind, this, this character, Tyler Durden, is holding him holding his hand still and just like you have to feel this pain you have to just you just have to take this pain and he says to him shut up our fathers were our models for god if our fathers bailed what do you think that tells you about god listen to me you have to consider the possibility that god does not like you he never wanted you And in all probability, he hates you. See, family wounds, they cause us to wound ourselves. They cause us to define how God is to us. Family wounds cause us to listen to the voice of our Tyler Durden, right? To listen to the one who's whispering in our ear like, God doesn't want to be with you. God doesn't love you. God doesn't like you. Because we are filtering everything through our experience of our family. And now you might be saying, that's not how my family was. But listen, let this help you understand a whole neighborhood of people. I mean, a whole neighborhood of people who don't have that dad in their life, who are growing up all around you, who don't have those figures in their lives and how they might be defining God. Because if people, if their mom, their dad, whoever bailed on them, maybe that's how God is like too. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Like every idol, we need to put it down and we need to do work in our souls. And um, what I wanna do here at the end is, I was talking about how in the fall we're gonna start like a Bible study night and how to be more interactive, uh, or just entirely interactive, um, rather than just hearing me drone on for 30 minutes. But what I want to do this summer is sort of get back to that and have a little piece of that. So I think we have a slide. Um, yeah, I got it. There it is. So. I'm going to ask you to do something probably uncomfortable. We did this last week too. We split in a group of like two, three people, and what I want you to do is, I just want you to share a, your greatest source of family pride. You know, and I know that you've been taught like your whole life maybe like that's only good, but I want you to think about how, like how sometimes family pride get in the way of following Jesus, you know? Now, you might only be able to say like a one-word answer to these things. You might not feel comfortable sharing your deepest, darkest secrets, and ain't nobody here trying to pry it out of you, <laughs> right? But, but um, share what you're comfortable sharing, you know, and then talk about your greatest source of family pain. So your family pride and family pain. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to do for like three minutes. So just find somebody else, start talking with each other, and we'll continue in a couple of minutes. All right. I want you to just quietly think about like something that you might have been able to identify in terms of a source of family pride and I just want to give you like a little tool like I'm just going to pray this prayer and if you connect with it you can agree with it in your heart okay Lord I'm utterly lost in my family I'm blind to even see it I don't want to be a reluctant disciple I don't want to miss who you are Miss the joy there is in following you. Miss the purpose there is in serving you. Lord, help me love my family, but not as God, but as a good gift that comes from you. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 And for those who just think for just a moment right now about some source of family pain, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to offer a prayer that you can agree with in your heart if you want to, if you connect with it, if you, if it speaks with you, to you. Lord, I've acted like I'd be happier only if we're married, only if I had kids, only if my kids were good, only if my spouse was good. I seek to treat the pains I have by looking for people to love me and they're not always capable of loving me back. Today I admit only your love can heal me. Only your love can change me. Only your love can transform me to be that better mom or dad, that better aunt or uncle, that better sister or brother. Lord, heal all of my family pain. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I just want to close with two things that I don't want you to imagine. I don't want you to imagine that God is at all scared of the mess of your family. Like, I don't care how messy your family is. Like, God ain't scared of it. And the second thing that I don't want you to imagine is that you, you know, because you can't out-sin, out-mess, out-ugly, out-whatever God's goodness and His love. And I don't want you to imagine that God is intimidated by the strength of your family either. Like, I don't want you to imagine, like, my family's pretty good. I don't feel like I need anything. I feel like I'm good. Because you can't outsmart. You can't out-need. You can't out last or outlive your need for God. You follow Him because it's right. Because it's good. Let me pray for us. God, as we come to your table, Lord, we pray that we would be a family here. Lord, we pray that that you would heal us, you'd forgive us for our family prize, heal us of our family pains. Oh Lord, be with us now, in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.